Hey, this is Brendan McGee, and you're listening to Sessions. Hello and welcome to Sessions, where we invite local and touring acts in and capture their tracks live off the floor. This week's episode features Fredericton blues rockers Kill Chicago, who've struck a chord with songs about Maritimers displaced by work, overrun with student debt, and or struggling to make ends meet. Now, three years removed from debut The Grey, and just ahead of a sophomore release, the band jamming to talk about the space between, as well as family, fatherhood, and Fredericton. Recorded live in Studio D, here is Kill Chicago with Carry Me. That's Kill Chicago live on Sessions, and Greg from Kill Chicago joins me now. Greg, this version of Kill Chicago came together shortly after you returned to Fredericton from Montreal. What brought you back to New Brunswick? A U-Haul truck. <laughs> and we carried the cat in the in between the front two seats, and it 
uh, it used the washroom no fewer than four times along the way. And it's weird when you have to stop and get rid of cat poop at like an Irving. <laughs> but anyway, I, mean, I mean, I think it's weird anywhere, but. <laughs> Good point. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> uh, but really, uh, we kind of, when I say we, uh, my wife and I, uh, when I left Fredericton, I didn't really know where where I was going to end up and, and when I was going to return. But it's a rare thing where two people um, who have lived in, in, like we lived in Halifax and Vancouver and then Montreal, and we're lucky in the way that both of our families are from Fredericton and still live here. So many of our friends are still here. So it's, you know, we didn't have to choose whose town like whose hometown are we going to go back to like it's the same hometown absolutely so um it was random like we both had jobs that we were pretty happy with and we knew that we wanted to start a family at some point and uh, we were like well if we do that it'd be cool to be around you know our parents so that like we don't have to work as hard and, uh, and we can get help with that and then on one trip home my wife was just looking at like houses on the internet, like in Fredericton, not just random houses. <laughs> Did you know people live anyway? And then uh, <laughs> we went to see this house in Devon, and it wasn't like we were going to buy a house, but we just looked at it. And she and I drove up, and I was like, "I want to live here." And she was like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." And then three weeks later, we bought a house and moved back, and we were pulling in on Canada Day, and. Um, and it was, uh, we didn't look back really. It was kind of like we both wanted to come home. And uh, anyway, it was, uh, it all happened very fast. That would have been about when? 2014? Yeah, 2014. Yeah. Uh, no, Kill Chicago didn't just start, you know, when you, when you moved into that brand new house. It's, it had been around for a few years before that. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, the, the brand new 60 year old house <laughs> <laughs> with an uneven floor and weird bugs in it. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, uh, the. I guess Kill Chicago like started when I had had this pattern of being in bands that would then stop being bands and I was always like a component of the band but I wasn't the songwriter of the band I wasn't the singer of the band and I was like every time like I would put off university I would put off my kind of life because I was like I'm gonna pour everything I have into this band and like several times in a row the band would just like dissolve into nothing because of nothing that I had done. And then you can't really then go play a show. It was like, Hey, I'm going to play the second guitar parts <laughs> <laughs> to this band I was in. And uh, I'm going to be able to keep going. It's like, no, it's like basically other people were kind of forcing me to start over from scratch every single time. And I was like, you know what? Like, screw this. I'm going to write my own songs. I'm going to sing. I don't care what I sound like anymore. I don't care if I'm good. I just want to make something that can't be taken away from me. You want to have some assets. Yes, exactly. I wanted to start, you know, diversifying my portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> well, not diversifying my portfolio. I wanted to start, you, you know. Wanna, you want to have the portfolio. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I want to be the, the person that screws over other people's lives. <laughs> you know, I want to have a drug problem and then leave people in the, in the, in the ditch. You know what I mean? As I had been done so many times before so i was like i'm gonna start writing songs and this sounds cheesy but it's a it's a big component to it like the first person that i sent a song to to listen to was my then girlfriend who was living in vancouver and i was living in halifax and i sent her the song i was like i know this sucks this is terrible just tell me to stop so that I can like go become like a, I don't know an electrician or something or like just tell me to to be something sure. different than this. And anyway, and she just simple like T nine texting, you know. You know, back in the day, it took a while, and she just wrote back. She's like, "This is really good," and I was like, "Cool, I'm gonna marry you." And then I did, and then I was like, um, "It was all because she flattered me once and uh, <laughs> told me to keep writing songs," and I was like, "I'm gonna stick with you," um, and. Uh, so yeah, so I started writing songs technically in like 2006, 
And then it took a very long time for it to kind of become something. Sure. And it went through a bunch of different versions. And I kind of started playing like coffee houses. And in Vancouver, it was hard. And all in that time, I did a music degree on classical guitar and learned to be a music teacher. And then, like, there was just moments where when we moved to Montreal, things started happening easier. It's such a collaborative, like, accepting city. Absolutely. um, So many more New Brunswick and maritime expats there too, right? Yeah, totally. And and people are used to like, you know, see, like there's always a band playing or there's live music. So it's like, it's not a a special thing. There's not like two places you play. Like every place has music. So they need people to play. And anyway, um, yeah. And playing with guys that I went to school with and it went through a bunch of different versions. But then when I came home, it obviously became, I kind of found the sound that I wanted to go for because it was very weird before. It was like a up jazz upright bass and, <laughs> and nylon string guitar and it was it sounded kind of like Bare Naked Ladies weird folk thing and then when I got back with people that I grew up playing music with like Zach and Matt it just all of a sudden was like oh, this is what it's supposed to sound like and then it just kind of happened easy. Absolutely. That's Kill Chicago live for sessions. Now, do you see any link between the blues rock aspect of Kill Chicago and Fredericton as a a place where blues has really embedded itself into the local culture? Yeah, and I'm going to make no friends with this next comment. (laughs) But I'm used to not making... I actually don't like a lot of blues music. Fair. And I absolutely love some blues music. And I... um, it's a very fine line. I was trying to explain this to someone the other day that it's like I love the sounds and the and the lyrics and the emotion and like the all of the reason 
blues exists and all of the uh, but I don't like the patterns man like I, I I get so bored when I know that four is coming and then I know the five is coming and some people do it I'm not gonna take anything away ever from like I've you know I listen to to that kind of music like like your, your John Lee Hooker and your and your and your Howlin Wolf and all that fantastic stuff what I I almost wanted to make a band. I was like, why can't I have blues sounds, but like not know what the next chord's going to be? <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. and not do a shuffle beat. Like I'm just, I don't, you know, you, you can't, you know, obviously I did a music degree in classical music and guitar. So like I can listen to a, a 15th century motet and get something out of it. And I like it. So I'm not a, like a, you know, a, a snob, but I mean, but there's just a few things that once I hear them, I'm like, ah, oh, I just, I don't find it interesting. So, um, some of my will to make this band was to like, not sound like a lot of what's programmed, you know, and, and loved by the city of like, I call it like, you know, your middle-aged white guy blues, you know, <laughs> which I'm very, you know, I'm getting there, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, there is a connection between that and 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 I'm not a, a super big fan of of long solos either because like my the first music that I fell in love with was punk rock and it was like so not about your virtuosity and you know even when we we've got solos on the new record that we're making and the old one I'm, I'm very picky about being like ah oh, does this sound like we tried too hard to play our instruments well, <laughs> like, or is it? You know, I, I'm I'm haunted by my 15 year old self a lot, and I'm I make tons of contradictions all the time. I don't like by any means uh, pretend to be like people could like poke holes in in my ideas very easily, but um, yeah, there's just certain parts of the blues that I can't stand, and there's other parts that I love more than like anything you know that all seems reasonable and on the topic of solos i should note for the record that one that you played just now on that song <laughs> oh man uh literally threw you up against the wall <laughs> yeah 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 i fell over <laughs> <laughs> now you moved back to fredericton in 2014 the gray was released in 2015 would you describe it as a concept album about life in new brunswick kind of except that it's um i would change it slightly in that it's the concept of of a person from new brunswick living which we know that people from new brunswick very seldom stay and live in new brunswick sure. their whole life you know like it's um either you go away like i did to go and get degrees that i couldn't get here or like like go to school or people go to find work and um you know so it's got it can't not be from that New Brunswick perspective of things because I always used to find it a little bit weird that like I was way too um, rural to be accepted in, in like a place like uh, like in Vancouver for sure you know there was a rough adjustment <laughs> like going to Halifax no one thought anything of it but then you go to Vancouver and everyone thinks you sound like a pirate and then you, <laughs> you drink too much before you go out to the bar they're just like why are you buying like people ask if you want to split a six pack and you're like, that's not what happens to six packs. Like, no, no, you know, that's, there can't be any of that. <laughs> you you know? Know? Yeah. And they're like, uh, so I was like too, um, too rural, like minded and, uh, to fit in fully in the city. But then when I would come back to like Fredericton, uh, Christmas or something, people were like, Oh, look at you. Fancy scarf. And you're like, <laughs> I'm like, it's just a scarf, man. They're like, Oh, well, no one wears. You don't need a scarf. You need a real jacket, pea coat, and you're like, oh damn, he's right. I do have a pea coat and a scarf. <laughs> I guess I am fancy. You're like a man of two minds, and like, almost. What are you eating, pistachios over there? You're like, <laughs> oh, he's right. I love pistachios. Like, that's an expensive nut. <laughs> <laughs> so it was um, always feeling like. But then when you when you so yes, in a nutshell, it is about New Brunswick, but almost as much about the New Brunswick or being out of New Brunswick. The displaced New Brunswick. Yeah. yeah. And you, you, you gotta live here to get it, you know? Absolutely.
Kill Chicago with Have Not Town on Sessions. Now, three years on from the gray, Kill Chicago is hired at work on a new release. What can you tell us about your sophomore effort? It is a much more collaboratively, is that a word? Collaborative uh, record than the first one. The other one was a combination of basically I would write, I wrote all these songs, I brought them to the guys, I said, how would you play along to this song? But the song was pretty much done. And in this one, there's been a lot of... Um, I come with a very small piece and then I just kind of the way I test if I have something is I just when you know when you're setting up your gear at practice and um, I just kind of start cycling the riff over a little bit and I don't say here's a new song everyone and start playing sometimes I do that if I actually have written a whole song <laughs> but like a bunch of the songs on the new record I just kind of start playing the riff and seeing if people start playing along with it and if they completely ignore it, I'm like, oh, this is this obviously doesn't catch anyone. <laughs> but if they start joining in and they kind of get the right, like something starts happening and drums come in and people are doing some stuff with it, I'm like, cool. And um, one thing I can say is that like uh, they do something completely different than what I imagine in my head every time. And um, that's where I like I fall back on like you know, um, you know like great directors of movies quotes where it's like if you, you hire the right people then you get out of their way a little bit and like i trust the guys in the band a lot and um i'm trying to make sure that um like ultimately i will say that that doesn't really work for what i'm thinking or this works but like it's definitely the second album is a way more of a conversation and so um uh, there's more room for like uh you know, people that kind of be themselves as, as musicians on it. So we'll see what that happens. But I, I always, um, on this new record, there's been lots of times where I'm like, I'm not sure at all if this is either the greatest thing I've ever made or the complete, like worst <laughs> piece of crap. I've ever. And I not supposed to say that, but like, I find it works at the best when I'm right on the fence of like, this is either really cool or really, really lame. Then, at least I'm taking like a bit of a chance, I guess. And um, absolutely, at least yeah. how someone else might listen to it and be like, "This is just a rock song." Like you're an idiot, but um, but I feel like there's some things that are that are uh, pushing some boundaries for us, and and that's all I would hope for the for the next one is to not kind of just do the same thing, but. I think a reasonable amount of doubt is something that nobody really ever fesses up to in the recording process. Oh either, man, it's though, right? so but, terrifying. Yeah. Like, I think. You know what people don't talk about is uh, recording de- uh, like first mix depression. Sure. Oh man! Like you think it's gonna sound like something, and then you uh, and then you finish and you listen back with every piece there, and you're like, hmm, I'm gonna I'm gonna quit music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you wait a while, you get a little distance, you know, whatever. But like I've experienced that a bunch of times, and and it's like well, why didn't you know it was going to sound like this? Like, this is what you... You were there with it when you recorded it. Yeah, yeah, you were... This, but, was, this wasn't a passive... But it's like, until it's done, it could still be saved. Like, maybe we could get some guest people in to save it, or we could, like, you know, put a, a special button, <laughs> an effect that makes it all better, and then you, you listen to it back, you're like, oh, okay, I worked really hard, and this is what it is. It's like... But at least it's better than... I, you know, we were just watching the Olympics, and I was like, I would never pour my heart and soul and life into something where it's like one hit off a piece of ice, and you're one millisecond behind, and you're nobody. Like, man, that's a cruel way to live. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like at least I have another gig, like or another song, I could do it again. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's just so we're not doing too bad. You guys are gigging more often than every four years too, which is which is good for continuity. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> it's like, all right, guys. <laughs> Every four years, we're going to play this song. Everybody relax for a bit.
reason, another season Heading back to where things are good Though I say it, I don't believe it I wouldn't bring you if I could And I don't want where I live to work I just want to work where I live Gold ticket, I'm addicted Heading back to an angry home You don't know me, but I don't know you Everything I did for us And I don't want where I live to work I just want to work where I live That's Work to Live from Kill Chicago. Now, in the last few years, uh, two-fourths of the band have become fathers. Has fatherhood at all changed the nature or uh, the identity of the band, maybe your writing style? Um, I have been too scared to write a song about being a father yet. Um, I have written some some poems and stuff about it. Um, and I think it's because like, I'm so used to the to the the negative or the, the, the troublesome uh, or complicated things. And I, I, I'm not sure I know yet how to write about that experience because I don't think I understand it at all yet. It's like, um, I don't know. I, uh, I want to like really badly. Like, and I've listened to some, like Ben Folds has a beautiful song about his daughter, Sure, you know? And like, there's some people that have done it so well. And I'm just like, Oh man, it's just, I find that more terrifying than writing a song about myself like way like a million times. So um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't writing wise. The only thing I will say is that I have to write 
when I don't want to now or I don't get it done. Sure. So like I, it's become my discipline has been a lot different. Like I'll be like, you basically take your former adult life and you put it into two hours from like whenever the kid goes to bed to when you <laughs> literally can't stay up anymore and you're like, oh, the last like you you can't sit around and wait to feel like writing. You have to kind of do it when you have time to do it. And sometimes um, I think that makes it. Um, I don't know what it does yet, actually, but it's definitely different for sure. But I'm too. Uh, it's too new of a thing, right? I'm uh, the deer doesn't know what's coming towards it, man. It just knows there's a bunch of bright lights, you know. No, I suppose it's also worth mentioning that you've got a fifth member. You've gained a fifth member now. Uh, what can you tell us about the Murdoch Mysteries enthusiast at the keyboard? <laughs> well, Brad had, was nice enough. We had Dylan uh anthony that is had to go in a canoe up north for like six weeks or something as you do as you do and take pictures of birds and and listen recordings of water and uh <laughs> and uh he did a great job it sounds exactly like those things and, True to form. Uh, and so we had some gigs that we couldn't uh say like we couldn't pull like we were like we agreed to these already and we weren't going to say dylan don't go do this amazing thing. And uh, so we brought in Brad and Matt Carr to kind of like share the load because Dylan plays a lot of instruments. And we're like, let's play some shows with these two guys. And, um, and of course, we're recording with Brad. So um, when it makes sense, we bring, uh, we'll bring Brad up to like to, to cover a few things. And, uh, you know, as Brad is uh, want to do, uh, through osmosis becomes a member of every band in this city <laughs> it's, at, it's one time, yeah. at one time or another he's like a you know like a, a weird kind of like type of psoriasis it <laughs> just passes from arm to arm but like but he's way smarter than psoriasis sure he's and like he's, slimer from the ghostbusters too if you yeah, think about yeah. it yeah yeah as he moves through life he leaves goo on things <laughs> <laughs> but his goo is a talent and um random facts and and puns absolutely uh yeah the pun game of the band has has upped whenever he's around for sure which is important i think i think it's pretty crucial right <laughs> yeah Believes in third of all he 
That's Kill Chicago on Sessions. Now, you recently performed at an event called Songs of the City, which pairs songwriters with folks who've benefited from the support of the United Way locally. Mm. Uh, Tell us about your partner for that event. Yeah, so um, I was approached to write a song about uh, Dale Kennedy. And, um, you know, kind of randomly, everyone I talked to, or, or most people that I talked to that I was doing this event, they know they knew who Dale was, and and I didn't know who he was at all, and uh, you know, it's it's hard to write a song about someone else if you're so used to looking inward. Like it's a very narcissistic thing, songwriting sometimes. Oh, you know, yeah. it's just like me, me, me. Look at me, and and um, anyway, so it turns out that uh, if you are in the minor hockey scene of Fredericton. People know Dale really well. He's he's at lots of games. Um, he's a huge fan of hockey. He he bowls like a champ. He was um he was a member of the Special Olympics and got like some gold medals in like track and field and stuff. Wow. And he was a letter carrier uh, for the government downtown for about for more than 20 years. So what his uh, through Jobs Unlimited, what his uh, what his job was was to to deliver kind of uh, downtown government mail to certain places and and uh, and he did that for yeah like I said like over 20 years so I got to sit down and meet him and chat with him and it was uh, it was really cool because he's just such a uh, a positive like kind of person and and he starts like everything he says he's got a massive smile on his face and he doesn't have any time for like there was not one negative thing that came out of his mouth and he took his job very seriously and he was like apparently like, like when i talked to people they're like man that guy used to like walk so fast like he would finish his route before ever he needed to like to be done and he would just walk past people super fast and when he was at the hockey rink you know he would um he'd be cheering for everybody and you know in the in the hockey like they'll play like uh, the song to get the the crowd pumped up. It goes like, "Deo, me say Deo." Well, he would, he he thought they were saying Dale, and, oh, and he was like, they go like, "Deo." He's like, "That's me," you know. Oh. And he told me this story, and and I worked that into the lyrics, and like I I tried to pull everything in that I could from from my conversation with him, and uh, and just kind of made it about um, how. You know, we kind of like all these organizations carried him through his life, but yet he carried things for us and this idea of everybody carrying each other and like, you know, just kind of going with that vibe. But um, but it was a it was a daunting task because like regardless of, you know, normally with songwriting, you only show the people the stuff that's done. Sure. You know, you're like, hold on, I got like, you know, you know, three fifths of a song here. Just listen, and then I'll stop, and I'll say, "Okay, now just imagine how the rest goes." And you know, but like by the time, regardless, there was that date that the show had to happen by, and I had to have a song learned, sent to the Olympic Symphonium, to learn it and put it together. And when you're on the clock like that, 
uh, with an infant at home, I was like, oh, man. With not a lot of lead time either, I no, imagine. No, no. It was like like three or four weeks. Sure. Like, and you're just kind of like, whew, okay, no time to uh, mess around and, and think too much about it. But then sometimes, um, you know, you need to be under the gun to get stuff done. Ooh, that rhymed. <laughs> so then you got the opportunity to perform that song with Olympic Symphonium, right? Yeah. And was Dale there for that? He was there, yeah. And he was actually sitting on the bench, like on the stage with us. Um, like he was like to stage left and we're stage right. So they finished talking his, like telling his story. And um, and as soon as he was done telling the story, the band clicks in and goes. And, and it was super cool playing with those guys because, um, you know, we've been at shows together you know, as you know, yeah. you know, um, you know, for 20 years, I've been standing next to Nick Cobham watching bands and next to Kyle Kunjak, like Kyle Kunjak and I were in the same high school jazz band, but a year apart. Like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> just missing the chance to play together with all these guys. And, um, and even, uh, it was Mike Bellier on drums. And I mean, I remember Ermine and Dionysus playing together in 1999 wild you know but i we've never played together so it was cool to kind of get together with them and they're just so pro like i showed up to the wilsers or uh, capital rather uh to rehearse a song and i was outside and i was like oh this sounds familiar and and they were i was like listen i was like oh they learned my song like without even me being there i just sent them a iphone recording of the song and i came in and i was like they're like what do you think i'm like uh, you don't even need me. <laughs> it's good. Like, it'd be better without me. You know. <laughs> and uh, so that was that was cool. And uh, you know, I hadn't played with other people in a while, so awesome. it was invigorating. Uh, well, Greg, and as well to Zach, and to Matt, and to Dylan, and to Brad. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Sessions. Thank you for putting up with us. We did. Yeah. <laughs> Been a long time finding temporary housing for one. And I've got eyes of steel staring at the castle you've won. I'll overtake your time. Last guy tried to end his life. Grinds it past the filter stage And mixed with people half their age I don't really need to know The way he left you here And just for once I'd like to feel I'm all you need, dear Spend all night finding Work a second job to stay poor In the eyes of strangers You'll see the sins you'll never afford And I can't be your alibi Or justify the reasons why The kids have hit their awkward stage Look at all the mess we've made I don't really need to know The things that kept you here Just for once I'd like to feel I'm all you need, dear I don't really need to know The way he left you here just for once I'd like to feel I'm all you need, dear. Pull over. That's Kill Chicago. That's a wrap on this week's episode of Sessions. Thanks to Kill Chicago, and thanks as always to our producer-engineer, Dylan Ward. 
I'm Brendan McGee, and you can catch us online on the podcast app at the iTunes Store or wherever you consume your podcasts. Podcasts.